Let me pray with you, and then, young people, let's dive in. Let's pray. Our God and our Father, we come in the name of Jesus, and we say thank you that you're here with us in this place. We say thank you that you love us. Thank you that you have sent Jesus to remind us how much you love us. And I pray that as we continue to let that warm our hearts, that we would be more and more in love with you. Thank you for loving us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So I have a a story I'd like to share with you to get started. And the story is about a young girl named Sarah. You may have met a Sarah in your life, but no one like this Sarah. This Sarah was a little girl, had an older sister. And as she was growing up, she got something on a birthday that made her day. And it was a little piggy bank. Do any of you own a piggy bank? Yeah. If you have a piggy bank, what do you put in here? Money. And Sarah liked to get her little piggy bank out and she'd shake it every now and then because it would remind her, I've got money. Sometimes she'd even open it up, spread out the money all on her bed and she would count it because she didn't want to just know that she had money. She wanted to know how much money she had. So sure enough, Sarah would go through this and every now and then she'd count it up just to make sure. Birthdays would come, she'd put money in there. Different special occasions would come, she'd put more money in there. She'd get an allowance, she'd put money in there. And she always was excited to have money. Now one day, someone ruined things a little bit for Sarah, messed up her whole life. Because one day she went to school and another kid at school had a fundraiser project. And she was walking around with a box similar to this one. And inside the box, it was full of chocolate. And the other little girl opened up the box and said, Sarah, do you want to see what's in my box? And when she opened it up, Sarah couldn't believe her eyes. It was full of chocolate. And she thought to herself, I've never seen so much chocolate. I want that chocolate. And the little girl told her, well, you can buy the chocolate and then you'll have all the chocolate you can eat. So little Sarah forgot about everything else in life. The one thing on her mind was chocolate. And she couldn't wait until she could go home, find out how much money she had, and buy that chocolate. So school was over. She walks home. She gets home, and she goes to her piggy bank. She opens it up. She dumps out all the money on her bed. She starts counting it, putting the ones with the ones. Have you ever done that? The quarters with the quarters, the nickels with the nickels. You get it all lined up, and then you start counting Now, her friend had told her how much the box of chocolates was going to cost, and she knew she had to have so much money. As she lines up all her money, sure enough, she has enough to buy chocolate. Not just one chocolate bar, but a whole box of chocolates. So Sarah's excited. That night, she is thinking, tomorrow morning when I wake up, I'm going to school, and I'm going to buy chocolate, lots of it, and I'm going to have all the chocolate I want. But there was a problem. Because mom and dad had talked to Sarah about this little piggy bank and they told her, Sarah, you cannot spend the money in your piggy bank on candy. Now, is chocolate candy? Yes, it is. So there's a problem, right? Candy can't be what the money in this piggy bank is used for. So Sarah's thinking, oh man, I really want chocolate. But I know mom and dad said I can't use this money for chocolate. So Sarah decided she was going to do something that sometimes we do when we want something really bad, even though we know we shouldn't have it. She decided it was time to hide the truth. So that night, did she tell her mom and dad what she was going to do the next day? Nope. She said, I'm going to keep it a 
I'm going to hide it. I'm going to keep it a secret. It's just my little secret. I'm going to go get chocolate. Nobody has to know. Nobody will have to know that I spent all my money. Don't tell anyone, she told herself. And that night she could hardly sleep, partly because she's worried. Oh, man, mom and dad, and I don't want them to find out, and I should tell them the truth, but I really want chocolate. And I'm just, oh, man. So that morning she made up her mind. I'm going to get the chocolate. I'm going to hide it from mom and dad, and I'm going to get the chocolate. I like the story that um, a man said. He wrote a letter. This is for the adults real quick. A man writes a letter to the IRS, and he said, I haven't been able to sleep for weeks. I didn't pay you all of the taxes that I should have. So I'm sending you $150. If I still can't sleep, I'll send you the rest of the money. (laughs) Sometimes we hide stuff, right? That's not a good thing, but that's what Sarah decided. If I can just hide it, I could probably get away with it. No one will know. So Sarah goes to school, has her piggy bank inside her backpack, and she's marching off to school thinking, I'm going to have chocolate. She meets the little girl at school. They set up a meeting time. Instead of going to lunch, they're going to meet outside by the tree for the exchange. And Sarah can already imagine what it's going to feel like to hold a box of chocolate in her arms. Lunchtime comes. Sarah couldn't even focus on class. And sure enough, lunchtime comes. Sarah gets out her piggy bank, gives all the money to the girl with the chocolates. And in exchange, she gets her very own nice, heavy, full of chocolate box. Sarah takes her box and she goes over by the tree. Now, the kids were at lunch. Sarah had planned this. Some of you kids know this. If you have chocolate and you're around your friends, what do they think they have? Chocolate. But the truth is you have chocolate, right? So Sarah goes and she says, I'm going to sit all by myself because if I'm with my friends, they'll want my chocolate. And she didn't want to share her chocolate. She wanted the chocolate to be all for her. So Sarah sits down next to a tree. She carefully opens up her box. And when she gets it open, it happens. She didn't expect it, but it happened. What was that? Let me get a little closer. Oh, I smell chocolate. She's thinking, I smell chocolate. And so she puts her hand in and she reaches out and she gets a bar of chocolate. And it wasn't just these little bars. This was a big bar of chocolate. And she's thinking, this is the good stuff. And then she thought, do you hear it? That's that magical paper that covers chocolate up so it doesn't melt. That's the tinfoil. And look, it's so shiny. It's so pretty. This is delicious chocolate. I'm sure of it. And so she says, ah, but I I think I'm going to have to try it. So she, oh, there it is. There it is. It's the chocolate. And she can see it. She breaks a piece off. Oh, I've been waiting for you all my life. Mmm. And then she realizes, slow down, Sarah. Just let it melt in your mouth. Mmm. And Sarah is so excited. It's running over her tongue. It's spilling down into to her lower jaw. Her mouth is like having a fiesta inside. She's thinking, this is amazing. And I've got a whole box of this stuff. Sarah's having a great time outside under that tree. One bite leads to another. One bar leads to another. 
She's tearing into the chocolate. She's just eating and eating chocolate. Four bars, five bars, six bars. I've never had so much chocolate, and no one's telling me to stop. I love this. Seven bars, eight bars, wrappers all around her, boxes of chocolate. She's just thinking, this is the best day of my entire life. Nine bars, 10 bars. She's gotten halfway through the box of chocolates, 12 bars. She's thinking, I don't know how much I can eat, but this is fun, I'm gonna keep going. And she keeps eating chocolate all of a sudden. She can hardly take another bite. I've eaten so much chocolate. I didn't know I could eat that much chocolate. I didn't know that much chocolate fit in my tummy. And she gets another bar up to take a bite, but like, I don't know if I want another bite of chocolate. Like, I think I've had enough. And then, oh, she reaches to her tummy and, oh, I didn't know that much chocolate could feel this way. And she starts to hurt a little bit. And then the thing that most kids think when their stomach hurts and they're not feeling well, what's the one word they think of? Mommy. Like, I need my mommy. If if my mommy was here, she'd make me feel better. My mommy would know what to do. And so she starts to rub her tummy and she's like, I still have a few bars left, but I don't think I can eat them. So she heard the bell ring and she thought, oh, I got to get back to class, but she didn't want to go to class. So she pushes the box closed, stuffs it inside her backpack, zips it up to make sure nobody can see that there's chocolate inside, makes sure that her face is clean, and marches back into class. The sun feels extra hot. The classroom feels extra hot. She's thinking, what did I do? What was I thinking? That wasn't such a, such a good plan. After school's over, it hits her. I can't stay in school anymore. Now I have to go home. And then it hits her again. I know who'll be waiting at home. And this time she's not so excited when she thinks of the word mommy in her head. She thinks, mom's gonna see me. Mom's gonna know what I did. She's gonna see my face. Have you ever noticed that moms just seem to know? Like, how does that happen? Like, they can look at you and be like, uh, so what you been doing? And you're like, well, I was just in my room. Like, um, what are those crumbs on your face? Um, I'm sure they're not cookies. <laughs> like, how do moms know this stuff? So Sarah's thinking, mom's going to know something's wrong. Mom's going to know I did something. She's going to find out that all my money's gone, that I spent it on candy, and I'm going to be in trouble. So she makes up her mind, like some of us do sometimes, when we do the wrong things. And we start to listen to the wrong voices. And the voice that says you can't go home, she starts to believe. And so she says, I'd better not go home. I'd better just walk for a little while on the streets and try to figure this out. So instead of going home after school like she was supposed to, she starts walking down the road by herself. As she's walking, she gets an idea. She's like, I I figured it out. I know how to get out of this. I'm going to go over to that lady's house that asked me to pull the weeds in her garden. And I'm going to work for her, and I'm going to get money, and I'm going to put money back in my piggy bank, and then nobody will ever have to know that my piggy bank was ever spent on chocolate. She thinks she was rather genius until she gets to the house, knocks on the door. The lady says, Sarah, what are you doing here? It's a school day. Yes, I know, but I was wondering if if you could still uh, give me that job to pull weeds. I, I just wanted to pull weeds. And the lady says, Sarah, do you feel okay? Well, yeah, I'm okay. Are you sure you want to do this today? Yeah, I kind of have to. I mean, I want to. 
So the lady takes her out to the garden into these weeds that are just as tall as she is and she gets there and she's thinking, what kind of a mess did I get myself into? And she feels her stomach and it still hurts and and now she's outside standing right under the sun because you don't plant gardens in shade, right? You plant gardens in the sun. And so she goes and she starts pulling weeds but the weeds are big and they're brushing up against her and ew, that's yucky and the weeds feel gross and and she's not liking it so much. And And then the arm starts to itch because the weeds have some bugs or chemicals or something and then bugs start biting her and she starts to sweat and... And she's like, I thought I was supposed to glow. But she's sweating and it doesn't feel so glamorous and she's itching and it hurts and it stings and the bites and, and her stomach hurts and, and she's like miserable. Then her head starts to hurt and she's thinking, what am I doing? Sometimes you and I get ourselves into messes. Sometimes we try to clean up our messes. We try to fix it. We try to make it all better so nobody will ever find out and we wash it and we clean it and we try to to sterilize it so that we don't get discovered. And sometimes it only makes our messes more messy. And so sure enough, Sarah's there and, and finally it hits her. Finally it registers in her head. Finally she realizes, I'm crazy. Like what am I thinking? Like why would I be out here in the heat with the bugs with the weeds, like what am I thinking? I need to go home. Because if I just go home, I'm pretty sure mom and dad would still love me. I'm pretty sure they'd still forgive me. I'm pretty sure that they'd still let me be part of the house. Like even if they kicked me out and made me live in the backyard, I could at least use a tent, but at least I'd be home. So Sarah says, that's it, I'm done. I'm done suffering, I'm done with all this torture. I just wanna go home. So she starts to walk home with her backpack with the chocolate inside and she's reminded of all the mess that she's made and she's thinking, I wonder what's going to happen when I get there. And then the thought hits her, what if they're angry? What if I miscalculated? What if I got it wrong? And what if mom and dad and those voices come back? And what if mom and dad are really upset and they ground me for life? What if they tell me I can't ever have any more chocolate as long as I live? I got to go home. That's the best chance I got to get out of this. So sure enough, she makes her way home. Now, pause all that for a moment. Mom and dad, imagine mom, she's at home waiting for Sarah to walk home from school. But does Sarah come home from school at the right time? No. So what does mom do? Mom does what moms do. Mom starts to get nervous and mom starts to say, hey, there's a problem here. Sarah didn't come home from school. So she gets on her phone. That's her extension to the world. So mom starts to call the friends that she usually walks with, the homes of the moms that she usually goes to. After every call she can make, she finds out, hey, Sarah's not anywhere. She calls the school. Did Sarah actually go to school? Yeah, Sarah was here. Did she leave school? Yeah, Sarah left. So then she makes the next call. This is going up a level. She calls dad. She says, honey, Sarah, we can't find her. She left school, but nobody knows where she is. And she's not at this house, not at this house, not at this house, all this. And dad says, I'm coming home. So dad leaves work and comes home. Now mom and dad are there. They're trying to figure out what's going on. They're worried. They're calling everybody they can think of. They call the police. They say the whole world needs to freeze until we find our daughter. It's about 5.30 at night. Sarah should have been home around 2.30. The parents are standing in their living room. They're looking outside, waiting, wondering, where's Sarah? Praying, God, help us find our baby. Everything we could do, we have done, and we still can't find her. As they're looking out the window, they see Sarah turn around the corner and start walking up the driveway. Sarah sees mom and dad through the window and she sees them run for the door and she thinks, "Uh uh-oh, here it comes. 
I'm busted. But mom and dad throw open the door and they start running towards Sarah and Sarah can't believe it. Like, they don't look angry. She listens like, what is that? Do I hear crying? Mom's crying? Why wouldn't mom be crying? And then dad's running towards her. Dad gets to her and he picks her up in his arms and he's holding her. He's like, squeezing her. He's loving on her. And she's thinking, what did I, like, what in the world? What's happening? And mom starts kissing her head. Mm, Baby, I missed you. I'm so glad you're back. And Sarah's like, is this really happening? Is this for real? Like, I thought they were going to be mad. I thought they were going to be angry, but they still love me. Dad says, I'm going to go upstairs, baby. I'm going to carry you upstairs, and we're going to get you a bath. He winks at mom. Let's make it a bubble bath for her. A bubble bath? Bubble baths are only special baths. Why am I getting a special bath? And mom says, honey, once you get in the bath while you're there, mama's going to cook all of your favorite food. I'm going to make you your favorite food, your favorite dish, and we're going to bring the food up to you. Dad's going to get your robe while she's in the bath blowing bubbles playing with bubbles. Dad comes in and says, baby, I'm going to throw your robe in the dryer to warm it up for you. So when you get out of the bath, you're going to put on the robe and you're going to feel so snugly. And then dad's going to grab you and pick you up again. He's going to carry you to bed. Mom's almost done with the food. You're about to have a great meal. She gets in bed. Daddy gets the robe. She's all tucked up. Daddy says, baby, let daddy get you your teddy bear. Teddy bear comes. Let me put your teddy bear right by you. Mom comes in carrying all kinds of dishes. Sarah's thinking, I'm going to get to eat in my room? Hello? In my bed? What? All this is happening and Sarah can't believe it. Sarah thinks, I just don't get it. Like, why would they do all this? Why would they show me all this love? Why would they keep doing all these things? And then, as Sarah's still trying to figure everything out, she hears it. Have you ever done that? Have you ever walked so somebody knows that you're coming? Like, I don't want no sneak attack, no secret appearance. Like, I want you to know I'm on my way. Maybe you've heard those steps sometimes. So here it comes. And in the doorway, maybe you've made this look. Older sister shows up, tapping her foot, doing the lean against the door frame, and then she gives the look. Like, what are you people thinking? Like, do you not realize that she caused you a lot of fear and a lot of grief and that you guys were freaked out about for two hours, three hours after school? Don't you remember all that stuff? And then Sarah start, Sarah's older sister starts to talk. She's like, um, hello. <clears throat> like, I'm here. Anybody want to make me dinner? Can I get a bite? Hey, what about making me a bath? I actually came home from school, people. Like, I actually, I even have been working on my homework for the last hour. Nobody even came and said, good job, honey. Like, what are you people thinking? Why are you doing all this for her? What's wrong with you guys? And Sarah's mom and dad look at the older sister and they're like, Sarah, Sarah's home. Like, Sarah's back like we thought we lost her we thought she was gone forever we we didn't know if we'd see her again come celebrate with us come on there's room for you on the bed come sit with us come enjoy with us like your sister's here she's alive 
There's a story Jesus told once about a dad with two sons. It's found in Luke 15. And in Luke 15, Jesus tells the story that there were two sons. And you remember it well. The one son, the younger son says, hey, dad, like I'm kind of done being at home. Like it's, it's not what I want anymore. So can you give me the inheritance that I'm supposed to get when you die? Can you just, we'll pretend you're dead. Can you just give it to me now? Because I want the money. Like give me the money, dad. Like it's game over. Like I don't want to be here. I'm out. So he gets the money and sure enough, he leaves. And you know the story, if you've read Luke 15, the story of the prodigal son. And then you know that when he has kind of come to his senses, because he's sitting in the slop, he wants to eat the food that the pigs are eating. It's that bad for him. He's like, I'm just wishing that I could, but the farmer didn't give me permission, so I can't even eat the pig's food. Like, it's really bad. And I stink, and I'm hot, and I'm sweaty, and he realizes if I could just go home, I don't even have to be a son anymore, but if I could just go home, dad, and dad would make it all right. And I love this part of the Bible where it says in Luke chapter 15, verse 20, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and he kissed him. The son and the father finally reunited. And then if you know the story, you know that there's a party. Dad throws a party. He's like, get the biggest calf that you can find. Like, get the choice meat. Get the best vegilinks you can find off the shelf. Bring them in. Heat them up. Put some pepper and garlic in them. We're going to make this the best feast ever, right? And then he gets the ring back, which says you can sign on the check. It's like you get the ATM card back. You have access to all of the wealth again. It's yours. And all of a sudden, the son who never left home is out there and he hears the party and he comes in angry. And he's like, what are you doing, dad? He won't even go in to celebrate because he's so upset that the father loves the son who was not the son that he was supposed to be. And I love this story because it tells us a picture in the Bible of someone who was loved by his father. Someone who is loved by the father and it starts to make a difference. The thing that I would hope you would get as we wrestle with this, as you think about what it means to be loved, that you would say, when I feel loved, it changes everything. When I realize that I'm loved, it makes everything different. The birds chirp louder. The music sounds sweeter. The sun feels warmer and brighter. Everything seems to be better when we're loved. Jesus tells this story of the prodigal son to remind us that the Father loves us. The passage that we read earlier, it says, for God so loved the world that he sent his only son so that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. I'm going to give you a cue. When I do this, you say your name. Can you do that? We're going to practice. That's your name, all right? Look at John 3.16 and you put your name in there. For God so loved that he gave his one and only son so that by believing in him could have eternal life. That verse, I hope, is something you can personalize. God loved you, and because he loved you, he sent his son. And he sent his son so that you could realize, I am loved. Like God loves me. I'm the one that God loves. So real quickly, I want to share a couple things with you as you say, how do I get to that place where I realize that I'm loved? A couple things for you. One, I want you to think about him. I want you to think about God. 
I want you to think about the things that God has done for you, the things that God has has done in your life. Maybe in others' lives, maybe you could hear your parents' story of the things God's done in their lives. Maybe you could say, here are the things that God has done for me. Some of the things that you might do as you think about him are remember promises that he's made. Here are some that I would hope you would think of. I am a child of God from Galatians 3. I am alive spiritually from Romans 6. I am a masterpiece from Ephesians chapter 2. I am chosen from Ephesians chapter 1. I am faithful from Galatians 2. I am self-controlled. I am not alone. I am loved from John 3.16. I am unashamed from John 8.1. I am called and equipped to do all that God wants me to do. I am fearless from Isaiah chapter 43. I am secure in him. I am a new creation in 2 Corinthians 5. I will not be shaken in Psalm 62. I am born again from 1 Peter. I am a child of God. Think about him. Think about all the things that he's done for you. If you ever have a girlfriend or a boyfriend someday, you're going to think about them. When you're not with them, all you do is think about them. Girls lay on their bed, I wonder what he's doing right now. I wonder if he's thinking about me. I wonder if he's about to text me. Let me check my phone. Right? You think about him. And guys, when it's, they're finally done playing basketball or doing what they do, they say, I wonder where my girl's at. Right? But you think about him. But you can't just think about someone and that's enough to know that you're loved. You also have to spend time with them, right? And you spend time with them. And when you spend time with them, you start to get together and do things. And then as you spend time, you're like, wow, I really like this person. Like, who do you spend time with? People that you like or don't like? Usually it's people that you like. And the more you spend time with them, the more you like them. And then you want to invite them over and you want to do stuff with them. And the same kind of thing works with God. The more that we think about him, the more that we spend time with him, then we start to go places and do things. We invite him. Like we ask him to be a part of our lives. This week I went with the eighth graders to Bush Gardens for their field trip. And I love it because we're about to go down a roller coaster where it's like a negative drop. Like you're going more than straight down. And this, this young eighth grader on my side is, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. <laughs> and I thought, I'm not sure that's what Paul meant when he wrote it, right? But I'm glad that you're quoting scripture. Let's give you that, right? But I think about him and I think about how he thinks about me. I not only think about him, but I invite him. I invite him on the roller coaster. I invite him wherever I go, whatever I do. Like, I want him to be with me. I want to hang out with him. I want to spend time with him. And the last thing that I would challenge you to do is do things out of love for other people. Like once you start to get it that you're loved and you think about him and it helps you see more and more how much he loves you and then you start to actually spend more and more time with him. You involve him in every area of your life like Deuteronomy 6 says, whether I'm walking, whether I'm standing, whether I'm sitting, like God's in all of it. And then you start to do things for other people out of love for him. That will build the love deeper and deeper inside of you. And you and I will wake up every morning thinking, I am loved. I am loved by the Father. I'm loved by God. And I think, going back to Sarah for a moment, that Sarah probably won't ever buy a box of chocolates and try to eat them all on her own. Like, I think she learned her lesson. And as you and I run to God and find forgiveness for the times that we blow it and try to hide stuff and make bigger messes, as we run back to God and find forgiveness, we realize that was a dumb thing to do. And because Jesus loves me, 
I'm going to stay on the path that he wants me to. I'll close with this. As Pathfinders, part of your motto is the love of Christ compels me. That passage comes from the Bible. It's 2 Corinthians 5.14. It says, the love of Christ constrains me or compels me. Another translation says it guides me. When I realize God loves me, I know I shouldn't do that. I should do this. I hear his voice inside of me telling me, this is what I want you to do because I love you. It's what's best for you. It will save you hurt and heartache. And Pathfinders, I hope that as you continue to realize how much he loves you, that you would continue to give in to his love and that you would live for him every day of your life and that you would find out that as you love him, you can help others to love him also. Thank you.